Abhishek is a man whose life is in constant danger from Hindu extremists. He works with Open Doors in, in North India, supporting Christian families. And uh, he tells the story of, of a man who was a father to, to three young children. One morning, this man was woken at 4 a.m. in the morning uh, to find men with guns pointed at him. And he was marched out in, into the jungle and there in the early hours of the morning, shot dead, leaving his wife, Janita, and three young children. Why was the man killed? Simply because of his faith in the Lord Jesus. Richard Page was dismissed as a magistrate in 2015, and later on, more recently, he's been removed from his position as a non-executive director of an NHS trust. Why? Because as a Christian man, he said he believed children are best served by having a mother and a father, not two mothers or two fathers. Sky has just finished sixth form college. Her dad is a practicing pagan, and he's recently disowned her and, and told her she can no longer live in the family home. She's had to move out and now lives with her grandmother. Why? Because... Sky has recently become a Christian, and her dad won't have anything to do with her. Israel Folau, perhaps Australia's most gifted rugby player, has been sacked by Rugby Australia. Billy Vanapolo, one of England's greatest rugby players, has taken an absolute mauling, not in a scrum, but in the press, and has been booed constantly in recent matches, despite playing brilliantly. Why? Because two Christian men who dared to express their views on what the Bible says about sexuality. As we hear those stories, how, how is it that we're meant to respond? How do we pray as we hear about Janita and Richard and Sky and Israel and Billy? Well, Psalm 10 shapes for us how, how we should respond. Let's pray as we look at this psalm together. Father, we pray, please, as we look at this psalm together, that you might show us what it looks like to respond with faith as we hear these horrid stories, both in this country and around the globe. Please shape us to to pray and respond in the way you'd have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice, if you've closed your Bibles, do open up page 547. Notice how the psalm starts, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in in times of trouble? Maybe you felt something of that despair as you heard me speaking about Janita, now widowed with three young children, going to bed tonight, knowing her husband won't be there next to her. She'll wake up tomorrow with that ache in her chest that she won't see her husband that day. And maybe you find yourself asking, how how is it that armed extremists are still terrorizing and killing Christians in North India on a daily and weekly basis? Where, God, are you in this? You you seem to be hiding yourself. Perhaps it it feels a little bit uncomfortable, a little little bit blunt to to speak to God like this. Now, the Psalms reshape what it looks like to to pray how God would have us pray, and they show again and again the psalmist showing raw and and real emotion. 
Isn't there something really freeing when you can just be completely yourself with someone? You know those kind of relationships where there's no pretenses, this is just, this is who I am, this is how I am, this is how I'm feeling. Well, when we, we come to God, we don't have to sort of clean ourselves up and, and put on a sort of sanitised version of ourselves. No, we, we come by grace, just as we are, no pretenses. Does God feel far off you right now? Well, tell him. Cry out to him, why, why God... Do you stand far off? Why, why are you hiding yourself in the midst of the trouble I'm going through? And the, the coming verses, and from verse 2 onwards, they show why it is, particularly in Psalm 10, the Lord seems far off and seems to be distant. Do you notice in verse 2 the shift? The shift in verse 2 is, is to look at the wicked man. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to look particularly at the schemes of the wicked. Because you see, in verses 2 to 11, we have a, a sort of a picture painted for us of, of a wicked man. But in many ways, it's, it's a template for the schemes of the wicked through the centuries. So let's, let's paint the picture together. Look at, at verse 2. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak. So who is it he goes after? Well, he, he targets the, the weak. He hunts them down. Verse 8, he murders the innocent. Verse 9, he catches the helpless. Those that seem the easiest to prey on, with seemingly the fewest consequences, they're the ones the wicked chase after. And then look at, look at his thought life. You see that in, in verse 4, in his pride, the wicked does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. He thinks he's utterly indestructible. He can do what he wants and nothing will come of it. You see that in in verse 6? He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy. Nothing will give me any trouble. He just assumes that that he'll get away with what he's doing because there's no room for God. uh, And he assumes that God's out of the picture. You see that in verse 11? He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face And he never sees. No room for God in all his thoughts. Assuming he'll just carry on and and get away with it. And notice his tactic. Can you see it it there in verse 8? He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush he murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. His his tactic is, is all about secrecy. I guess many of us enjoy watching documentaries about wildlife. I, I love documentaries on particularly wildcats in Africa. Uh, and, and one of the best bits is, is watching as a, as a lion kind of stalks up to, to catch its prey as it sort of stalks through the, the, the long grass, moving quietly towards a dainty-looking deer, and boom, pounces, and the life is gone. That, that's how the wicked prey on the innocent. Can you see in in verse 9? He lies in wait like a lion in cover. Lies in wait to catch the helpless. And it seems to be one of the the hardest things as we see the schemes of the wicked is that they they prosper. We see that in verse 5, don't they? His ways are always prosperous. 
You don't have to look far, do you, to see wicked men and women prospering as they take down the wicked, as they, as they take down uh, the innocent, prospering at the expense of weak and innocent people. Why, why is it worth us, us painting a picture of the schemes of the wicked? Why, why do we need to know that? Well, let me tell you the story about Taranto Harbour. I guess many of us haven't heard the Taranto Harbour night raid. I'd not read about it until this week. It was a raid in World War II that, uh, that many historians believe changed the balance of power in the Mediterranean. The, the Italians had a, a strong naval power. It was a, a serious threat to the Allies. So in November 1940, the Allies sent 21 biplane bombers uh, and they attempted a daring night raid. The Italians just, just didn't see it coming. They, they didn't think the Allies would dare to take them on. The, the Italians had, a, had plenty of firepower, but only two of the 21 bombers were shot down. The, the attack came in, in two waves through the middle of the night and it brought huge destruction on the Italian Navy power. One battleship completely brought down, multiple other battleships and cruisers crippled, huge damage done to the harbour, and the Italians never really recovered their naval power from that. The the balance of power was changed in the Med. Why why was the raid so successful? It was so successful because the the British had the element of surprise. The the Italians just didn't see it coming. They didn't think the Allies would, would dare a nighttime raid. Well, as we, as we look at the, the picture of the wicked, the schemes of the wicked, the element of surprise is, is taken out of their hands. He, here's what we should expect. Here's the things that the wicked will do to the innocent and God's people. So as we see the picture, we, we can be ready. We can expect that to come our way. We can warn the innocent and the helpless. We need to remember we're war as Christians, don't we? If we're trusting in Jesus as our king, then we've put ourselves at odds with the rest of the world. And in this country, we're beginning to see that more and more. So expect these schemes. Be ready for the schemes of the wicked. Here's the second thing to see. The second thing for us to see is the cry of the Christian Come with me to, uh, to verse 12. Do you, do you feel the shift in verse 12? Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forsake, do not forget the helpless. See, verses 12 to 18 move on and, then, and they show us, here, here's how to respond. As the wicked scheme and, and prosper, here's how we respond. And, and verse 12, well, the first thing it tells us to do is to cry out for the Lord's to act. Arise, Lord, lift up your hands. It's a cry for justice, for for God to lift up his arm, it's for him to show himself in strength. Look at, at verse 15. Break the arm of the wicked, an evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness that would not be found out. To break the arm of the wicked is to to squash the strength of the wicked. Christians often find themselves on the wrong side of history. From the earliest days, Christians have have always suffered and been treated terribly, purely for the crime of trusting in the Lord Jesus. Felicia was a a young, wealthy girl, 
who lived in the 4th century in the Roman Empire. She lived during a period where there was a, an extreme wave of persecution under Emperor Nero. Uh, and she was brought before the authorities for her faith in Jesus and given multiple opportunities to, to recant, to deny her faith in the Lord Jesus. But she refused. She insisted that Jesus was Lord and her saviour. So finally, young Felicia was, was brought into the arena in front of torturers and this young wealthy girl faced certain death. She was tied to uh, her slave girl behind her who'd also become a Christian. They were tied there back to back and in a moment of extraordinary bravery as she was moments away from being cut down by, by the sword. She asked her torturers if they'd tie her hair back. They were puzzled. She said to them, having her hair down was a sign of mourning. And she asked for them to tie her hair back because she knew that day that she'd be with the Lord. And it was no day for mourning. See, through the centuries, there have been countless Felicias who've died for their faith in Jesus. So what do we do as we... We hear these stories. What do we do? Well, we cry out for the Lord to act. We cry out for him to bring justice, to break the arm of the wicked, to, to squash their prayer, to, sorry, to squash their power. And it seems to me that we'll only pray that kind of anguished prayer to act, to, for the Lord to do something, when we're moved by the plight of God's people. When the Bible describes us as, as sinners, it, it's not saying we're, we're as bad as we could possibly be, but that every aspect of who we are is marred by sin. That means the things we love, the things we're, we're moved by, are marred and damaged by sin. I wonder, I wonder what are the things that have moved you this week? What are the things you felt strongly about this week? I played Nigel at squash on Wednesday. I was moved by the desire to beat him. For the record, he beat me, but it was much closer than he'll let you know. I'm moved by wanting to beat him the next time we play each other. How much have I been moved by the many Felicias this last week who've died for their faith? The Felicias currently in labour camps in, in North Korea because... They courageously say that Jesus is Lord. See, being a sinner doesn't mean that we're as bad as we possibly could be, but that every aspect of us in some way is is marred by sin. So we we love things we shouldn't love. Our, Our loves are disordered. We're moved by the things we shouldn't always be moved by. So I wonder whether you'll let this psalm, by God's spirit, reorder the things that you're moved by. Richard said earlier that the Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. They're, they're made to be sung, but not as solo performances. We're the, we're the choir. They're, they're our song. So what would it mean for us to sing this psalm? What would it mean for us to be moved by the lyrics in this psalm? For it to reshape the things we feel strongly about. To care for the plight of Christians. To, to care to cry out to God to act. One way would seem to be for us to be more aware of what's going on for persecuted Christians. Why not think about subscribing to Barnabas Fund or Open Doors? 
The Psalms, particularly Psalm 10, challenge us to be deliberate in, in crying out for the Lord to act. And it seems to be much, it's much easier to cry out for the Lord to act when we hear of individual stories. Last Sunday morning, Trevor Leggett prayed in the 11.15, and he prayed individually for a bunch of Christians around the world facing unbelievable suffering. It was a great model to us. Asking God to act, to to break the arm of the wicked, to squash their power, for the Lord to lift his arm up, to to show himself in power and justice. As the psalmist prays, he, he sets his eyes on God and his confidence grows. Verse 1, remember where we started? God just seems a million miles off. He's, he's distant and, and hidden. But do you feel the shift by verse 14? But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it and take it in hand. See, as we, we cry out, we need to remember that, the, that God hears. He hears and he, he, he sees the cries of his people. He does act. He, he takes it in hand. And verse 17, he encourages the afflicted. L- literally, he, he strengthen, strengthens their hearts, even in the midst of trouble. So how then, how then is it the psalmist can move from such strong emotions, from verse 1 to, to despair and God seeing completely out of the picture, to here being so confident that God sees and hears and acts? It's a pretty drastic move, isn't it? Well, come with me to, to verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. You see, it's, it's as the psalmist Psalmist remembers who God is, that his, his confidence grows. He remembers that, that he's the eternal king. Psalm 9 and 10 were probably originally one psalm. The structure of the, the poetry suggests that. If you were here on Wednesday, you'll remember Jonathan talking about acrostic poetry, which uses different letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There's something of that going on in Psalm 9 and 10. So it seems they were originally to be read together. Notice... The description at the start of Psalm 9. This is a, a psalm of David. See, on David's lips, he could sing with confidence because he knew that there was a future king coming who would never die. A king who would hear and see and act on the cries of his people, who would, who would lift his arm up in great strength. So how is it we, we move from verse 1 from, from despair and God seems so distant to, to confidence? It's as we look to Jesus, the great son of David. He's rescuing his people. What is the cry of the Christian look like? It's a cry that looks to the Lord Jesus, the eternal king, the one who died feeling the agony of his father deserting him so that, that we might be those who are drawn close to the Lord. Lord Jesus rose and, and conquered death and, and he will return. And that day, 
we'll see Christians aren't on the wrong side of history, they're on the right side of history, because the Lord Jesus will lift his arm up in great strength. The wicked will have their arm broken, their, their strength will shatter, and justice will be served for every injustice. Janita will see justice. Richard Page will see justice. Sky will see justice. But what about, what about now, when, as we wait for that coming day? Why, why does it feel like God's hidden? Why is it Christians continue to suffer? Well, it's not that God doesn't see and hear and act. It's not because he's forgotten his people. It's because he's wonderfully patient. He's not yet returned to give those wicked men and women in their schemes one more chance to wake up tomorrow morning and come to their senses and realize who's the eternal king and to come to him in repentance and faith. So how do do we respond then as we hear of these men and women in this country and around the globe suffering terribly? Well, a starting point's got to be to allow their suffering to move us. To ask God to reshape the things that we care about, the things that we love. To cry out to God, why? Why is this happening? To cry out to God, to, to act, to bring justice to show his arm in strength and to break the arm of the wicked and to set our eyes once more on the Lord Jesus, our eternal king, who hears the cries of his people, who sees all they're experiencing and strengthens the heart of the weak. Let's pray together. Father, we pray as we look at these early psalms over the coming weeks, that we would allow them to shape us, that we would pray more in line with them than we currently do. We pray, please, that we would be those who cry out to you as we hear of the wicked schemes of men and women doing atrocious things to your people in this country and particularly in places like northern India, North Korea, and many, many other countries. Please would we cry out to you to act, to bring justice. Please would we help us to remember the Lord Jesus, the eternal King, who one day will come back and show his arm in great strength. We praise you that you've held back that day so far out of great patience, that more men and women and boys and girls might come to faith in the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.